Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget your machete as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. We st- we couldn't stop laughing about it for like a day and a half. That's way ahead of the curve. Oh boy, uh, Monsteropolis show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. Yeah. I'm one of your hosts. My name Seth Breedlove. I'm joined as always by my good friend Mark Masky. That's me. I'm here. He's here. That's a good thing. We're doing it. Hopefully, we're really doing it. Um, we're making a show. We are. <laughs> We've done it. Uh, this is uh episode, I don't know, of, I've never done that before. <laughs> I was going to say the episode number and then realized I have no it's idea. The episode after the last one. It's like 118 or 117 maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Neither of us know. Sounds good. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> it's never going to stop. It'll be like hauntings. On the trail of hauntings, we'll do like 400 episodes. Um, Speaking of On the Trail of Hauntings, if you want to watch On the Trail of Hauntings, you can become a Small Town Monster Squad member, which is also how you can watch the video version of this very show. My eyes are hidden behind my microphone stand, so I'm sorry, viewers. But um, Man of mystery. Yeah, that's me for sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're a fan of this show and you want to watch Mark and I talk to each other, this is the probably the best way to do it, Small Town Monster Squad. Yeah. Um, Episodes. Or hide in the office. And yeah, watch. or you can come in and hide some, like, ring cameras or whatever. Um, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that was already going on here. Uh, but, yeah, the uh, Spell Top Monster Squad. And then also, uh, we've just made the changes to the, to the schedule. The week you're hearing this is actually the first week where everything should be completely set on the new schedule. So, Monsteropolis Monday, Squadcast Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday are um, all the other ancillary content. So production diaries and uncut interviews and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then on Friday, second Friday of each month is on the trail of hauntings. Third Friday is on the trail of hauntings production diary. So we have something going up almost every day. Um, And the goal is to launch another series before the end of the year. So um, if you're not a squad member, you should join because we're doing stuff there based on how many viewers we have. So if there's more viewers, there's going to be more shows. Um, and we're excited for other, other things to launch on there. Uh, by the time they're listening to this, I believe the Kickstarter has ended if I'm not mistaken, because this would be next Friday show. Mm-hmm. I think next it end on the fourth. I think it ends on the fourth, which I don't know what day that is. It's a lot of work for me to look at mine. Fourth is Thursday. Yeah. So when you listen to this, the shows, I think we're done. I think the Kickstarter has ended. Um, 
In which case, thank you for the resounding success of the 2021 yeah. uh, Small Town Monsters Kickstarter. Um, I think, you know, um, one of the goals that we had was to increase the number of backers. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough year to ask. Yes. It really is. Yeah, that's so one I, thing I didn't mention in the mm-hmm. last episode. So we I, were genuinely concerned it would be a loss, a pretty big loss. As of right now, mm-hmm. I would assume we'll be almost even or I, a I, Yeah, over. it's looking like that. And I think that's really remarkable. I mean, it, it just says a lot about, I think, the type of support that Small Town Monsters enjoys. It means a lot, especially at a year where there's been a lot of hardships for people. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. I think the the what she listens to the show, so I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. My yearly um, stress around the Kickstarter time typically re- revolves around how stressed out my wife is getting. Mm-hmm. Last year, she was very stressed. This year, there was no stress. So that that alone, I owe a great debt yeah. of thanks to our yeah. uh, backer. She was she was very uh, easygoing coming off mm-hmm. of that first night and seeing how much um, how much the, how great the turnout was for mm-hmm. for backers this year. So, um, and honestly, that was just uh, considering what was going on. Uh, it's amazing how much fun that night did end up being. Mm-hmm. It sucked all of us being separated. I will right. say like that sucked, but, um, but, but it was still a fun night and, and Jason's microphone troubles will go down as one of the funniest things <laughs> yeah. that's ever happened with small town monsters live. <laughs> so, um, okay. So is there anything else I needed to announce? I'm um, to think. did you want to announce, well, you announced this already, but did you want to renew the, um, paranormal unexplained? Yes. Paranormal Unexplained, the new YouTube series, yeah. might be up by now. I think, oh, like, I know cool. we're shooting this week, but I, I think his plan is to start just pumping these out. Um, so the that might be up on our YouTube channel. It's a free for YouTube uh, series. There's a lot coming to YouTube this year beyond just, um, you know, the the Squadcast stuff. Where, where the plan is to expand YouTube all around. We did things. We, we It's funny. We were talking about this this week. We've done things kind of backwards. Most people start on YouTube and then move into filmmaking. We kind of, like started in the film world and now we're going backwards toward not Mm -hmm. backwards, but we're going, you know, back to in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, and some of that just has to do with the adversity of what we're facing on the major streaming platforms, Mm -hmm. which maybe we should have mentioned that in the last episode while the Kickstarter was still alive. But, (laughs) uh, with Amazon basically claiming they're going to refuse to accept nonfiction content, unsolicited nonfiction content, it puts a lot of filmmakers in a very, very scary place. So um, the best thing about Kickstarter or Squad is it is a direct, not necessarily Squad since you're still dealing with Google in the middle, but mm-hmm. um, it's a little more, I don't know, it's a little more intimate than what goes on with Amazon. It removes the middleman when we can go through through something like crowdfunding or Squad where you're paying for the subscription and then we create the content based on what we're being paid to do. That's like the ideal way to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's got me thinking for the first time that's got me thinking in that direction. Yeah. I've always kind of approached our the filmmaking side of what we do from a very traditional not traditional but traditional in the means of distribution. We make a movie and then we put it on a platform and then hopefully you find it or whatever. And I think what we need to do is get away from that and get more into the we're creating content films, whatever, based on what our audience wants to see and how much they're willing to directly contribute to right. that. And that way 
it's the unfortunate aspect of this is you do wonder, I think over time it'll help us grow in the short term. I'm curious how it will affect something like prime and Mm -hmm. and just viewer numbers. Some people might find it hard to find our content down the road because they kind of only knew it as a free Amazon thing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, end of the day, I am not that concerned about that. Like if the only way you digested STM was through free prime or Tubi or whatever, that's fine. But end of the day, I don't. Yeah. It's a fair exchange. Yeah. You know, the, the sitting on the side of the microphone and knowing what I know, there's work that goes into all of this. Mm-hmm. It should, it, don't tell, don't tell some of the YouTubers. Oh, I'll tell the them. The YouTube audience this. I was, man, we, we got slammed. We posted about the, the stretch rewards and I had yeah. a guy immediately post something about how how we were liars because we had set the goal at something and then added a goal. I'm like, that's not how this no, works, No, you don't even understand Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a different headspace now, mm-hmm. having lived through my experience. Yeah, yeah. So if people want to argue facts, yeah, let's argue facts. Yeah, I would suggest, man, it's a tough time for everybody. So I totally get the free content. I, I, there's a ton of free stuff I digest but i i have for a very long time had an appreciation for creators and the work that goes into it because of what my favorite hobby was Mm -hmm. prior to this which was comic book and comic books indie comics only survive based on what you can give them to create those comics Mm -hmm. because there's no money in comics it's not Mm -hmm. like anybody anybody there unless they're managing to get some sort of movie or tv deal they're not making a lot of money my favorite comic book artists are almost entirely broke when I think of who they are as people and what I know about them, they are not rich people. So mm-hmm. I kind of came from from that into this. Um, or they've had to divide their attention between their yeah. art yeah. And, and making a commercial living. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. That's the other part of it. Anyway, we're not whining about I'm not no, whining. I don't think anybody Yeah, there's no whining here. Um we just it's I think this year has given me a greater appreciation too for those Kickstarter backers who just jump on it. Right. We had, I mean, just, we talked about this already, but just the sheer volume of money that came into the campaign in the first 10 minutes was insane. So yeah, the topic of this week's show <laughs> is upstate New York weirdness. See, we, we can do that and it just yeah. shift yeah. on the fly. That's what we do. That's- <laughs> yeah. There's no podcast overlords telling us what to do. <laughs> Uh, we'll shift again if we feel like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Upstate New York weirdness, like the, the, um, the grab bag of weirdness. So I, and, and we have to, again, give credit for viewers. This is the book for listeners. It's, uh, the mysterious North woods, strange tales from the Adirondack and green mountains by Robert and Paul Bartholomew. Are you pulling from anywhere else or is this no. your soul text? <laughs> yeah, I'm not it. either. Um, be it. so it really, um, yeah, get on this like we said last week because it'll be gone, mm-hmm. and then unless they decide to undertake another reprinting, it'll be gone forever. It's um, also I want to say this too. I think this has been mentioned in the past, but Paul's work is obviously great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite books. It's like in probably my top twenty books of all time on these subjects is Robert's book on Champ. Mm-hmm. Fantastic broad-based look at the champ phenomena. So. I own it and haven't read it yet. I flipped through it. When we were making the movie, I, I flipped through it 
some. Yeah. One thing about this book, just the sheer volume of champ reports is astonishing. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's entire pages where you'll go like two, three pages at a time with nothing but champ reports, mm-hmm. maybe broken up by like one or two other yeah, phenomena. Yeah, shows up. Yeah. Says, Don't forget me. Yeah, but champ <laughs> is like the real star of that region, not Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, I, so the first thing I did was just, I, I thought these early reports and we already talked about the goo 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 in the last episode, which was a, a creature as big as a ship's mast. Um, you know what? Maybe is the goo goo a relative of the Ruger? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. We're definitely, that's the connection we're making. No, but you know, if you want to draw a line there, the one that I'm, starting to make is between the Wendigo and mm. the Ruguru. Cause I don't know how That's familiar you are with the yeah. Ruguru legend, but um, not super to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, I have thoughts on it, but you're not going to hear them until the movie's <laughs> out. Um, but there is this sort of shape shifting skinwalker slash Wendigo aspect to the Ruguru legend that I think is very intriguing. Um, and, and there have been lines drawn uh, by various authors um, to the Wendigo from the Ruguru. So there you go. And Wendigo. Okay. So anyway, uh, the first one I wanted to mention, these are all, I, I grabbed a few of these just because I think it's interesting. These are all very old legends from the area and, but they all sort of have a modern day counterpart except for one. So, um, and this one, uh, a, a carnivorous rock that ate people, but, um, uh, Vermont giant bird. The Abenaki told stories of a massive bird called the P- Pomola. Pomola. I don't know. That P might be silent. Mola, maybe. Um, Gugu, you know, which kind of sounds like Bigfoot if it's King Kong sized. <laughs> um, the other is uh, late 1600s southern Quebec near northern New York river monster. Jesuit priest Louis Nicholas compiled sketches of the flora and fauna of the region, his manuscript, later given as a gift to the King of France, contained a drawing of what he describes as a sea monster, which was killed by the French in the Richelieu River, which empties into Lake Champlain. The sketch appears to depict a creature that is half human and half fish. He may have sighted a walrus, which were common in the region. Um, so there's modern-day counterparts for those. With um, One thing I want to mention, I think I screen-kept another one, but uh, giant... Thunderbird-like creatures are very commonly sighted, I would say, or at least commonly reported throughout the area. Hmm. Um, Thunderbird sightings take place in that area still today. And then the other one that's sort of common is the more pterodactyl-type creature to where um, some friends of Brian's had actually, on the police force, had actually claimed to have seen a pterodactyl off a bear road. Wow. Um, So there you go. Uh, The other one that I thought was really cool, and, and... I tried to do a little digging into this because I I have, I'll explain in a second. Long ago, a New York and Vermont great elk. Abenaki legend tells of a massive animal dubbed great elk. The Iroquois referred to it as big elk. The elephantine-like creature had a tough hide and could stride through snowdrifts. Some researchers suggest that these stories may originate from the memories of their ancestors encountering mastodons and mammoths during the Ice Age. Um, The animal was said to have big ears and left large round prints in the snow it also had a long nose and huge teeth um one interesting aspect of that is great elk legends are all over the northeast i don't know if you've ever encountered Mm. this but like elephantine sized uh elk and i know this from when we were 
researching Maine, yeah, um, I bought a book. Um, now I can't remember who wrote it. I bought a book, <laughs> and it, it, it's frustrating because I know it's sitting like in here somewhere, right behind us. Um, Is that Bigfoot in the title? Is that no? Book? It's more. Oh, okay. I think it was more uh, Maine legends. Okay, and I can't remember, but they had legends up there of great elk and yeah. uh, moose, like a massive moose, right? Um, and even sightings of those, mm-hmm. like. More modern day right. sightings, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Um, and one thing worth mentioning about elk is they're they're no longer they're considered extinct or gone from that region of the Adirondacks. But at one point in time, the, the area was overrun mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with elk. Um, but I thought it was interesting that those great elk legends do run run sort of all along the northeast mm-hmm. area with these massive monstrous elk stories. I thought that was cool. Yeah, those. I mean. Just a moose is no joke no. in the wild. Yeah. I mean, no, those will mess you up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Larry Beans Baxter is always posting yeah. like video and stuff right. of these these moose running through his backyard, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, yeah, don't mess around with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alexander's encountered, I believe, a couple now out in out in the wilds. Yeah. Scary stuff. You have to be careful with yeah. those. I understand. I mean, it's like. A bear is more apt to run away from you, whereas a moose will charge you, right? They're massive. I mean, they're like bigger than a car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're huge. It's the funniest thing. You know you're in the Northeast, the real Northeast, like Maine, when you start seeing the the moose crossing signs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember that. Is that for real? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think so. So uh, going with, sticking with like, Really old stories. Did you notice there were a couple vampire scares? Yes. And I almost screen grabbed them and then I didn't because uh, I thought we could maybe just talk about them. But I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I love just to give you an example in 1817 Woodstock, Vermont. Yes. Where I've been, which is also oh. well known for Woodstock. That Woodstock. Isn't it the same? I'm pretty sure uh, it's the same Woodstock. Okay. Because that is Wood- Woodstock, New York. I thought Woodstock was New York. This is for Woodstock, Vermont. Okay, yeah, it's a different, it's a different place, <laughs> yeah. different state. Guys, it turns out Vermont and New York are different states. All right, go ahead. It's a hippie vampire. <laughs> um, when Frederick Ransom of Woodstock caught tuberculosis and died on February 14th. These oh. stories both involve TB, right? Mm-hmm. Both of these vampire stories yep. you're going to read? Yes. Yeah. Darn old consumption. I know. His father exhumed his grave, fearing that he might attack his family as a vampire. The heart was cut out and the body burned. Yeah, that's it. This is the next one's disturbing. The incident was reported to have occurred on the Woodstock Village Green. Folklorists have documented several vampire scares throughout New England during the 18th and 19th centuries. Vermont journalist Gareth Henderson writes that due to the high mortality rates at the time, when medical treatments failed, residents often, quote, turned to superstitions that probably had root in their European homelands. Chief among them was the vampire, this feared specter of the night, helped explain why TB spread so rapidly among families. It had to be the result of a predeceased loved one coming back as a blood-sucking vampire, end quote. And then do you want to hear the other one? Yeah, the other one involves... 1822... Decapitation, right? Bar, Vermont. That's a good one. B-A-R-R-E. Yeah. Residents came to believe that the first wife of Joe McIntosh, a recent immigrant, was a vampire after she died of consumption or (laughs) tuberculosis. When his second wife fell ill and turned pale with TB, to some, the condition suggested that a vampire had sucked the blood from the victim. Suspicion turned to his first wife, and her body was exhumed, and her decomposing remains 
decapitated. Mm -hmm. What was left of the head and heart was incinerated in a blacksmith form. It's a, it's a good one. So imagine if you're, if you're the blacksmith, how would you <laughs> feel about going to work the next day? Um, be able I, I thought those were very interesting stories. There's, there is a town somewhere. If, if a listener has the answer to this, there's a town somewhere in America where they do a vampire festival based on a local vampire legend. Mm. And I would love to know more. I have not been able to find it in my minuscule amount of research into this, but I remember reading a story about it long ago. Hmm. It did have some sort of vampire local legend origin. New England? Would can't it remember? Be? I can't remember. Yeah. I th for the longest time, I thought it was Louisiana, but I can't find hmm. anything in Louisiana that fits that description. Um, I've got one from February 2nd, 1909. What was the date on... Those were 19, early that 1900s. Was, yeah, the, the vampires were 18, 17, and 22. There's a story. I don't think I... I really wish I would have grabbed this one. I don't think I did that because I get into the 70s. There's a story that I I thought was so fascinating from... Um, oh, I have another one that's prior to that. But <laughs> I, you might have read this about the, the boy who hoaxed the UFO crash and oh, then yeah. admitted to it as an old man dying on his <laughs> deathbed that he had like concocted this device yeah. with a kite where it flew flew into the sky and then he held it there and then it exploded in the <laughs> sky and it was reported all over the area yeah. and apparently was like very well known in local lore for years and then on his deathbed he admitted that as a 14 year old he had been responsible right. for that and it was from like the very early 1800s i want to say mm -hmm. uh, i thought that story was really that cool could be like a great short story i know or something, you know I, I thought that i thought that too and i wish i'd saved that one the other thing i want to mention here i don't know if you want to talk about the year without a summer but um yeah. we that could almost be its own I mean, episode I, that's you know? what i wanted to there's say there's so much but, to it and, and it and it's all over i mean if you've watched mark of the bell Witch, there's a brief point where dewey edwards talks about the indonesian earth or the indonesian volcano that spewed tons of volcanic ash into the air and there was no summer I didn't realize that was like the entire eastern. Is that the entire eastern seaboard? Is it all of the United States? I find that hard to believe. Yeah, no, it was. It seems like it hit. I mean, it affected a wide swath, but it hit Adirondacks particularly hard because their agriculture, mm -hmm. their agricultural system was delicate to begin with. Right, and it's hard to farm that rocky ground, and this just absolutely destroyed it. Yeah, I was like kind of detailing it. Uh, this morning for my mom and I was telling her that there's, you know, I mean, they had snow up to up to 18 inches of snow in the middle of June. Yeah. Uh, a man lost his toes to frostbite, mm -hmm. lost it, who got lost in the blizzard. Um, very rough time. And reading it, you could kind of feel the uncomfortable, the how, how awkward and weird everything would have been at that point in time. Right. You're right. We should do an episode about it because the other thing it brought up is how mentally that would play with you sure. because at that point in time, you don't have television. You don't have the internet. You have no idea why this is happening. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to think yeah. that it's the end of the world. Sure. That's come. And uh, I thought maybe the saddest thing of all was that for a time things got better. And then they would, then yeah. there was a new wave of snow. People and, would go plant crops and then, yeah, yeah. There's a story about a flock of sheep dying because the, yeah. they were sheared. Right. They oh, thought, yeah. 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 And I mean, what it, one of the results of that long term was a migration west to the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That they, uh, I, I, 
thought I had looked into this all when we did Bellwitch. I didn't realize the two were connected for some reason oh. when you had mentioned this to me and mm-hmm. I had never made that connection. But um that 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 year is kind of credited with the rise of the Midwest as a farming hub. Mm-hmm. It's like people headed out to the to where yeah. they thought it would be warm year round. Mm-hmm. Which couldn't be more wrong, but <laughs> um nineteen oh nine Pitcairn, New York, Adirondacks, uh Eagle grabs child. So this is a point in time, 1909, this is a point in time where there's tons of these stories all around the United States. Um, we we had a couple from like Missouri and Mississippi, um, but there, you can find these stories all coast to coast during that time period. So I thought this one was cool. On Tuesday, local farmer Josiah Ohmtree watched in horror as his five-year-old daughter was carried from a barnyard by a giant eagle that had been seen in the area for several days. Upon hearing screams, Mr. Ohmtree raced from the barn to see the girl in the clutches of the monster bird. The screams from both parent and child appeared to have frightened the eagle, which dropped the child unhurt on the roof of a building near the barn. Quickly grabbing his gun, Mr. Ohmtree took a chance shot, but outside of the loss of a few feathers, the bird flew away uninjured. Hmm. So like I said, there's a a lot of there's so many winged. stories like that yeah it's so weird yeah from that point in time all over the country yeah yeah um and and that one sounds very similar to um i just blanked on his name the 70 lawndale incident marlon Lowe. marlon Lowe, yeah. yeah to jump back in time a little bit real quick because mm-hmm. uh, i jumped over this one april 1886 cherry valley new york bubbles descended from the sky <laughs> did you read that one yeah. <laughs> uh just went to sharon springs just west of Sharon Springs, an odd incident was recorded. According to the journal Science, two men were on <laughs> horseback riding down a hillside on the east of town near sunset when they observed a cluster of spherical objects descending. They were between six and eight inches in diameter and gave the appearance of bubbles. They appeared to alight on the tree branches, then slide off and out of sight. As they continued their journey toward the village, the sky seemed to be filled with bubbles. These spheres were highly colored, iridescent, gave the same sort of reflections as soap bubbles, and apparently vanished individually in much the same way. As darkness set in, they were unable to spot any more bubbles. I like that one. I feel like everything was on the table back then. Yeah. You know, as far as a weird story. Yeah. Just bubbles from bubbles. the sky. Look out. <laughs> well, from around uh, approximately that same time, um, there's an infamous lake monster hoax that I thought was interesting in uh, from Lake George. Yeah. In 1905 in um, near Hague, Mm -hmm. New York, two boys make the incredible claim of seeing a massive sea serpent in Lake George and report fighting it off with a paddle. Yeah. The reports led to speculation that the Champlain monster had gotten into nearby Lake George, just a few miles away, perhaps through an underground cavern or stream. The boys said the creature was upwards of 35 feet long and had a quote unquote great head and large green eyes sunk deeply in the head, fins or ears the size of a palm leaf fan, and horns like elephants' tusks, which stuck out from the sides of the monster's mouth. Their encounter was faithfully reported and sincere, but was a wooden sea serpent used by New York City artist Henry Watrous to scare residents. The hoax was uncovered during the 1930s, and the wooden serpent is now a cherished relic of historians in both the town of Hague and village of Lake George, New York. I wish we had known that Yeah, we there. So it's it's there somewhere. Yeah, probably kept under lock and key, though I would imagine. I would assume. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it does say cherished. Yeah, of historians rather than on display. Yeah, the right price. You can. Say. <laughs> well, didn't they tell us that that 
lake, you know what? This might have been on the the helicopter flight. That that lake gets very, very, very deep in some spots. Lake George does. Yeah. Am I wrong in in that? Yeah, I, th- I, don't know. I, I think that I think that our helicopter pilot oh, okay. told us that mm-hmm. when we were flying over. And that lake is very substantial. It's a very large lake. Yeah. Um, and it's fed by all those mountain streams, which mm-hmm. is very cool to see. The coolest part in the movie, not the coolest part, but the cool part <laughs> in the movie is when we're on that helicopter flight and I the narration says something about the mountain streams and you can literally see yes. one of these things come down feeding yeah. into that lake. And I just think that's such a cool connection that you can make all those mm-hmm. visual connections. Um, we had talked about this maybe after the last episode or something, but I was going to mention that there was a Seth Breedlove connection to the Adirondacks that I was completely unaware mm-hmm. of until more recently. Um, I forget how it came up, but, but um it was when we were there filming. I had told my dad that we went up to Whiteface to shoot. Um, it's Whiteface, right? That's the name of it? Yes, White, Whiteface yeah. Mountain. I get confused because there's White Top in Virginia. Uh, and there's White... Yeah, yep. it's, it's Whiteface Mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, the tall is that the tallest peak there? Or no, that's It's that's the tallest Marcy. single peak like okay. by itself, but okay. Marcy is Marcy's the tallest the of them all. Okay. Um, so Whiteface, you can drive right. It's a really cool, I would recommend it to mm-hmm. anyone, even though they charge you an arm and a leg to go up. Yeah. Um, very cool. Uh, but when, when we were running up the hill, like yeah. we saw people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to pay. <laughs> um, we, while we were there, somehow my dad heard, heard me mention um, Black Mountain Ski Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he messaged me and said, I think this is the place that your mom and I spent on the first night of our honeymoon. Um, Back in 1966 or 67. Mom will, will shoot me if I get this wrong, but I think it's 66, <laughs> might be 67. You'll find out. There's a, there's a connection to the Silver Bridge, and that's why I can never remember if it's the year before or if it's the year mm. that the Silver Bridge collapses. But either way, around that time period. So to just real quickly tell the story, basically my parents got married, and the day they were set to get married, my dad got his Vietnam draft notice in the mail. And... They were set to get married. My grandma did not want to spoil their wedding, so she hid the draft notice until after the wedding before giving it to my dad. And so my mom and dad had not really planned a big honeymoon. I'm looking at you for confirmation on this because <laughs> you were with me I think, yeah. when they told us yeah, the story. Right. But um, so they were they were not planning a big honeymoon. So when they found out, they were like, well, let's just get out of here and go do something. Mm-hmm. So they drove up to New England and on the way their first night they stopped at the Black Mountain Ski Lodge stayed the night um the ski lodge is still there i looked mm-hmm. this up still there still in business um and actually seems like it's booming um so so i got to make a trip up there sometime i yeah. think it'd be cool but um they bought this they got they were given or bought a like a basically like a tumbler or a mug uh at the ski lodge and my dad gave it to me so i have a sitting oh, there really? but anyway it's just cool because it's like one of those weird connections mm-hmm. that i had no idea like my family had ever been to that area the same thing happened we found out that same night that you were over with mm-hmm. me about the white mountains yeah. in new hampshire and found managed to find photos of my mom and dad at the exact spot where we shot drone footage from the trail of vfos mm-hmm. you know 50 years later yeah. or whatever just you a cool you could overlay those on mm-hmm yeah, we were actually able to take the picture of my mom and me in the exact same spot without me ever realizing she had been there. But anyway, um, that's just a cool connection. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think I can understate that the the appeal or the love I have for that area, and I think you have it now too, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, but 
um, there you, you we really appreciate that. I I adore that particular spot. I've said before I'd move there or buy at least right. buy some sort of house there if I could. And the, part of the appeal to me is that there's it seems like there's always more that you could discover mm-hmm. up there. Yeah, because I, you know, six million acres is what it is. It's it's absolutely colossal, and yeah. there's different parts of the park too. I mean, the high peaks and sort of the southeastern Lake George is absolutely gorgeous. But there's like a whole northwestern section mm-hmm. that I know that we never about, even got near. And it could always. But go the back other thing we never we it. never got to see was the swampy. So there's some really swampy areas there, and mm-hmm. I didn't get to. T- and there's one right outside of town. And I know we actually drove by it because you drive by it when you leave Abear. Um, but we, it was so late at night, there was it would have been pointless to go there. But there's a really swampy area. And then there's another place there called like Egypt Valley that I've heard mm-hmm. has a lot of Bigfoot reports. Steve Calls, I think, had maybe even mentioned it at okay. one point. That's further outside of Whitehall. Um, but yeah, we've been there. This is my fourth time, and we still... And we covered a ton of ground in a very short yeah. period of time. Yeah. So for us to have covered as much ground as we did and still feel like we barely scratched the mm-hmm. surface is saying something. I said I said we'd barely scratched the surface when we made Peace to Whitehall. Yeah. <laughs> and after this, I'm still saying it. Right. So yeah, you could go there... Uh, do you live there and probably feel like you barely scratched mm-hmm. the surface? Yeah. The, um, this is just totally random, but that shot where you guys are over Mount Marcy mm-hmm. and there's people up there on the yeah. top. I, yeah. Every time I see that, I'm like someday. Yeah. That's, that's happening. Go up there. Yeah. That would be so cool. Yeah. I, I have a goal in mind for something. I, for one thing, Brandon just saw the movie and really loved it mm-hmm. and said, uh, it just made him really want to go back. And I said, well, We'll try to go. We'll try to go. Like me, you, and whoever we can mm-hmm. take. I, w- I want to take Tommy there because Tommy still hasn't really explored the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to go there with take Brandon, but you know, go back with yeah. Brandon. Go back with my dad at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an amazing place with weirdness. What weirdness do you have with weirdness? What weirdness do you have for us? Can we talk about the hum? Yeah, I feel like we should talk about the hum. This yeah. is twenty first century here. Fast forwarding to. To now. Yeah. This is more recent. Yeah. In the Northwest Adirondack Mountains, a veteran Adirondack backpacker and bushwhacking writer, Dan Crane, reports hearing a mysterious sound on several occasions in the region. He states, the unexplained sound is a soft, modulated hum. It is a subtle sound. Often it's difficult to tell whether it is a sound or just a feeling deep down in the pit of the stomach. It is sometimes muffled as if in the background and therefore easily overlooked. The nature of the sound is hard to describe, but it's similar to the noise made by a boat crashing through a wave or a wake of another boat. This is not the first time I've heard such a sound. Similar sounds intruded upon several different backcountry trips over the last few years in the northwestern Adirondacks. Sound is not constant, as I've returned to the same locations multiple times without hearing it. The name, you said that name, Dan Crane. I had to look this up. I'm pretty sure Dan Crane wrote an article on us. He writes, so he writes for the Adirondack Almanac. We were in the Adirondack Almanac. I'm trying to find it. I can't, I don't see the article. He wrote one called Bigfoot Myth or Economic Opportunity back in, oh. in 2012. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not positive about this, but I swear that at some point I've actually spoken to this man. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I remember when this was happening for some reason. What year is this? 20? It's All it said was 21st century. Okay, so, so it didn't give a 
I want to say well, it's like 2014 or 2015 or something around there. So 2011. Okay. This is that's real not close. Citation <laughs> at the bottom, but it, he yeah the Adirondack Almanac December 11th edition online news journal. You could make a invasion on Chestnut Ridge style Adirondack movie very oh, easily. Oh sure. Yeah. Very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the subterranean sounds has always interested mm-hmm. me because it's. I guess the, a, a very important book that I read early on was the Anne Slate and Alan Berry Bigfoot book, which right. is where I... Was, You've mentioned a lot. Yeah, introduced to the Sierra sounds. And as sort of an ancillary to that, it was the Sierra Nevadas and I want to say like the Mount Shasta area mm-hmm. where people have reported like strange subterranean sounds, the likes of which this also describes. And... Stan talks about that in relation yeah, to Mystery the Chestnut Ridge. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what to make of that, except you know, there's there is actual history of subterranean bases and things uh, that our government owns and they're documented as being real places. So I don't know if people were just in the right place at the right time to hear excavation taking place, but it's not an out of the question. Yeah, there's caves there. We know, mm-hmm. and we found one for ourselves. <laughs> totally unexpected. We just stumbled upon it in the woods. Yeah. Look, guys, over here. Check this out. A, a cave. <laughs> Who knew? Um, I want to talk about this one because I, th- I still think this is very interesting, and I actually did some follow-up research on this. February 2018, Lake Placid region, which we've been there. Yeah. Strange case, case of Constantinos Philippidus. Oh, yeah. Yes. On February 7th, the 50-year-old Toronto fire captain went missing while on his annual skiing trip to Whiteface Mountain, which we were just talking about. Yeah. He was last seen by friends about halfway up the slope when he said he wanted to retrieve his cell phone so he could take pictures. So he was going to ski down to his car and would be right back. He never returned, triggering a massive search. His His wife and some of his firefighter colleagues from Canada even traveled to the area to help in the search. All looked bleak when Philippidus resurfaced six days later, some 3,000 miles away in Sacramento, California, with no no idea how he got there. Canadian National Post of August 24th reported that authorities believed he had gone off trail and somehow hit his head and in a confused state hitchhiked to California. Now, I read about this because I wanted to know Mm -hmm. where he's at today. I can't find anything too recent. 2019, he did some interviews and actually made his way back to the area to try to reach retrace his steps. He's mm-hmm. still claiming to have no idea how any of this happened. So if this wow. is a fake story, there were all these people com- claiming it was like infidelity or tax evasion or no like kidding. all this stuff, but it does not seem to be the case. He's actually even still a uh, Toronto fire captain. So he still got his job. Um, the, fu- the memory loss thing has never been solved. Does not actually appear that he hit his head. There was no, there were, no, there was no evidence that he had sustained any sort of trauma, like blunt mm-hmm. force trauma or anything to right. that. Um, he just walked off the mountain, got in a truck, um, and was asleep until Salt Salt Lake City. When the trucker woke him up and said, "We're in Salt Lake City," and then drove him to Sacramento. And there's a photo of him standing outside of a Sacramento gas station, still in his hiking gear, looking completely befuddled. Um, it's hard not to feel bad for the guy yeah. because it's like, I, I don't get the impression there's anything here that he had any control over. Right. And it's just like he wandered off the mountain. Nothing 
quote unquote happened to him. Like in Not terms, they can really find. Um, now there's all, all the articles that I was reading talked about memory loss and how your brain can just over fire and all of a sudden things like this can happen. So, so the, apparently there is, you know, it's a scientific precedence for this kind of thing. Um, but I do think this is one of those stories that people will always probably talk about. The only thing about it is, so what is suspicious to me is he supposedly got in the truck and then he, mm-hmm. he met a truck, the truck, he flagged the truck driver down is what he was saying. Yeah. Truck pulls over, picks him up. He falls asleep, doesn't wake up again till, till Salt Lake city. Um, which you're in New York from Salt Lake City. It's right. like three days probably driving. Um, he does not know who the truck driver is, and the truck drivers never come forward, which is very, like, I think that in itself is a little fishy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, was, I, I mean, this is legit. Like, this could be like a, tra- a modern-day Travis Walton story if he threw the right details into this, oh, yeah. like, very easily. Um but that is a white face mountain story from, from the Adirondacks from Lake Lake Placid area hmm. from 2018. So very yeah. recent. Cool story too. The fact that he's resumed his old life mm-hmm. is I think equally fascinating. In yeah. Like, Sounds like he went right back. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. You know, did he recover his memory? Did it say like, no, it doesn't like know his, what happened through, through that period that of time for that he experience. He does not know what happened. He knows he what knows happened other before parts. and yeah. after. Not that wow. specific period of time, hmm. moment of like a lost yeah. time incident, I guess. Um, I was going to ask you, are there a lot of missing 411 from that area? It seems like there should be, just given Yeah, I, do, I honestly don't know. That'd be interesting to look into. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth even mentioning on the show, but I had read where David Pilates lost his son oh, recently. Oh, yeah. I saw that too. Yeah, so... Uh, that's pretty even, horrible. Yeah, I don't even know how to address that. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, legitimately prayers for that guy. Yeah, for sure. That's terrible. Um, yeah, the Adirondacks, really weird place. Mm-hmm. Not as spooky as you might think. Just really gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I never felt spooked while we were there. No, I'm trying to think now if I did. If there was ever a point where I felt, like, creeped out. And even walking around in the woods at night, I never was creeped out mm-hmm. the only you know the only thing i get scared about not scared about but scared of when we're out in those woods might be like a, a bear but um but yeah i don't i mean we yeah. we got into some thick stuff while we were up there i don't think we ever i don't think i ever had a real i'll tell you there was one night that night driving around with alan and jesse up on that road because so it was so late at night and it was just the three of us and mm-hmm. there was no one up there we got up to this spot at the top of the mountain shut all the lights on the car off got out and walked down this trail a little ways. That was kind of spooky because yeah. you're, you're so far where we were because we're out by Wells. I mean, you're out in the middle. You're mm-hmm. almost in the middle of the park, and it's just creepy, creepy yeah. area. Savoy State Forest, I think just the pure darkness being out in the middle of that is sort of, yeah. you hope you don't step in a hole or kind of distracted during that whole <laughs> incident. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I'm excited. I can't. This is not very often do we make a movie where I'm very excited for an audience to see it. Usually I'm like moving on to the next. It's not that I'm not excited for the movie to come out, but I'm usually like ready to head on to the next thing. And I kind of don't even think about it. And this is an incident where I'm just like, come on, just get out. Which I should mention, we we signed a distribution deal for this Mm -hmm. film for On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey. Um, 
I don't know when it's coming out. So if you didn't back the Kickstarter, it's too late now. But if you didn't back the Kickstarter, I can't give you any guarantee as to when it's coming out. I'm hoping I'm going to hear in the next day or two uh, some sort of idea as to when it will be out. I would think very early May. I don't think they're going to be rushing to get in in April. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think very early May. Um, Kickstarter backers will have it by April 17th. We're doing a premiere at the Canton Palace Theater on April 17th. If you want it on DVD, come to the Canton Palace Theater on April 17th. And see it on the biggest screen in Ohio. Yes. The only way to see it. Yeah. In my favorite theater in Ohio. You have to, there's a strange, uh, the way they have their concessions set up, set up is a little odd. I think you have to order them online. So oh. if you're getting popcorn or whatever, mm-hmm. do it online. We will still have the whiff of Washington State on. Yes. We'll, we'll have been home for like <laughs> three days yeah. when that happens. You know, Andy will be off on a, a school trip. By oh, then. no. He hits, he gets home. Yeah. From Washington, he's in school for two days, and then he then he gets on a bus for ten hours and goes down to Tennessee. Wow! Yeah. Meet the Bell Witch. Man in motion. Yeah, that's his name. He's arranged a meeting with yeah. the Bell Witch for his class. <laughs> uh, I think that does it for this show. We're going to have to revisit this. Obviously, I don't know that we're done yet with this particular topic. There's there's poltergeist stuff. Oh, yeah, I wrote I wrote down a couple. There's of those. satanic panics. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, if you enjoyed this show, leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, send us mail to monsteropolismail at gmail.com. Watch us talk on Squad. I think that's it. Yeah. On the Trail of Bigfoot's coming soon. Thumbs. Right. See you guys. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com and is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.